Good morning. How are we doing this morning? You guys excited to be in the house of the Lord? It's a good day to worship together. I'm Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here, and it's my honor and privilege to unpack and study the Word of God with you and for you. Matthew 7 and John 14, if you have your Bible, we'll be there in just a moment. Uh, We are in week three of a six-week series we've just called Redacted, and the idea of this series uh, is that there are things uh, that we have redacted out of the Bible we hold in our hearts. We tend to ignore them even though they're in the scriptures. We act like they're not there because it's easier to to act like they don't show up in the Bible than it would be to live like they do. And so we change what the Bible says to fit our expectation, to fit our worldview. We we hold on to just a few verses here and they're only the ones that fit us and we toss uh, the rest. And so that's the idea. Now, we're not saying that that you actually have a Sharpie. Nobody's taking a Sharpie and and marking out the Bible or carving it out with a knife like Thomas Jefferson, Uh, but what we're saying is the the Bible that you actually live by, the one you hold in your heart, the one uh, that you actually believe has been redacted. Some things have been pulled out of it or covered over uh, in those thick, dark lines. And so... um, that's the idea, and that's, the, that's a problem. It's kind of a big deal uh, because 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed, that the whole thing is God-breathed. So the Bible is a take-it-or-leave-it kind of a situation. You can't pick and choose. You can't pull pages out of it or verses out of it that you like and, and then mark out the ones you don't. It's an all-or-nothing type deal. The Bible, all of it is God-breathed. All of it is Scripture all of it is true, or none of it is true. There's no middle ground. So you can't pick and choose. You have to decide, is the Bible just another book that I read, or is it more than that? Is the Bible just another book, one of the many books that I read, or is it more than that? Um, If it really is God's Word, then, then we have to approach it differently than we approach other books, right? We have to approach it differently than we approach a textbook or a newspaper or a self-help book or a novel, right? Those things, we approach the Bible differently than those things. When we read like a, a book, a self-help book or a textbook or whatever, we have a phrase. We say you have to eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? Have you ever heard that phrase before? I just made it up, okay? So... You eat the meat, you spit out the bones. The idea is, just like when you're eating chicken, okay, you don't eat the bones, right? The idea is that when you're reading something that a human author has written that is not God's inspired word, then there is some level of imperfection and flaws and things like that in it. And so you need to spit that stuff out. You need to be looking. You can't just take a a book from Barnes & Noble and think every word in it is true. Are you tracking with me? You got to eat the meat and spit out the bones. You learned a new phrase, okay? Eat the meat and spit out the bones. But not with the Bible. The Bible we approach differently. The Bible is true before we open its pages. Every word in it is true before we understand it, before we live our life like it is true. It's already true. And so we open the scriptures knowing that it's already true, and we just have to decide, are we going to live by it or not? So our only job is to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, understand it and apply it. And so the Bible is an all or nothing type deal. 2 Timothy 3.16, all of it is God's word. All of it is God 
breathe. So we're taking on six biblical ideas that we tend to ignore or we tend to redact from the Bible in our hearts. In this series, we're taking on six biblical ideas. So far, we've covered two of them. Uh, week one on Easter, we covered John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. So through this idea that, that Jesus is the way to the Father, he is the way to eternity, that's a hard truth to actually live by. So you have to decide, is that, is that something that is actually in the Bible and true? We talked about that in week one. Last week, we talked about the very biblical reality of hell, a place called hell, a literal place of torment uh, that is apart from the presence of God. Another thing that we don't like to think about, we may ignore it or redact it, but it's, it changes the way we live. If, if hell is real, it changes the way we relate to other people. All of a sudden, other people have souls that will end up in hell apart from God if they don't know Jesus, and so we, we act differently and we relate to them differently. If you miss those, you can grab them on iTunes or our website to get caught up. But let me, let me start... Um, Number three today, uh, this way. Um, as, a, as a father, um, as a husband, as a, as a pastor, as a man, as a human being, I can, at times, be a little intense. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I can, at times, be a little intense. Um, I tend to be a little more, maybe more than a little, black and white in my thinking and in my approach to things. I've made a lot of progress in this over the last 15 years. At least that's what my therapist says, right? <laughs> I've made a lot of progress in this. But I have a tendency to hold the line, to dig my heels in, to stay close to whatever it is. Whatever we've decided on, whatever we've agreed on, whatever we believe is truth, I have a tendency to stick close to that. Maybe get stuck on what we said we were going to do, what we agreed on. Plan A. I get stuck on plan A. My, my wife makes fun of me about this all the time. I'm a plan A person. Like, I love plan A. You got any plan A people in here? Two of you? Okay, you don't want to admit it? It's fine. Plan A, people, if you're like me, you love plan A. You put time into plan A, right? You build up plan A. You think about the details. I think about all the details. I think about all the angles. I, got, I love plan A. I put my time and my energy into a good plan A. I'm rarely a let's wing it type guy. Like I don't show up on Sunday mornings going like, hey, let's just see what happens. <laughs> let's just wing it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I don't, I don't do that. I'm a plan A guy. And when, when plan A doesn't happen, my wife Erin is in charge. Because she's a plan B or a plan C person. I'm not a plan B or C person. I'm a plan A person. And it doesn't, she makes fun of me about it all the time because it doesn't matter what it is. Like if we're going out to eat and we've got a plan, like we're going to go to this restaurant and it's Sunday and we're going to Chick-fil-A. That we get there and we're like, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. We should know that. Christian chicken isn't available on Sundays. <laughs> it's at church. We should know that. If we've got a plan A for a restaurant and it doesn't work out, I'm at a loss. I'm driving. I'm going, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
It's as if I've only ever eaten at Chick-fil-A. Are there other restaurants? I have no idea. And so my wife, she makes fun of me about it. She's in charge in that moment. She decides, plan B, what are we going to do for plan B or plan C? And so I have to surround myself with plan B and plan C people, which are really just a bunch of slackers <laughs> that don't put the time into plan A, right? I know you t- don't, don't be acting like I'm a plan B person, I'm plan C. It's just because you're a slacker, right? You're just a slacker. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm kind of a black and white, kind of stick to plan A type person. I can be intense. I'm, I'm task-oriented for the most part. I'm a rule follower. I, and when I find somebody who's more of a rule follower than me, I become the opposite. I like to mess with those people. But I'm, I'm most, of part, most of the time, I'm a rule follower. I hold the line, whatever it is, whatever we've agreed on, I tend to, I tend to hold that line. We're talking about truth. I tend to hold that line. And I think that's a, that's a good thing for a pastor to be in a, in a culture, in a time where, where everybody is just tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine, um, by, by every lie of the enemy. You know, I, think it's, I think it's good for a pastor to be able to hold on to truth when in a, in a culture like ours where, where the idea of truth is under attack. The idea that there is a line to begin with. It's considered intolerant and unaccepting, right? So I think that's good. I think that's good that a pastor would be that, hold the line. But, but people are not machines, are they? Relationships, marriage, parenting, pastoring, it's not math. It's life. And so I'm constantly asking the Holy Spirit to give me discernment about when, when should I hold the line? When is this important enough for me to hold the line? And, and when should I just draw a new line? Go with plan B, right? When should I go with plan B? With my kids, for example, we have rules. I think, I'm, I know it's maybe crazy, but I think rules are important for kids. I mean, you may like your, your chicken cage free. But I don't think you need to, I don't think you need to just let your, your kids just roam around without any rules. You can be a cage-free chicken person without being a, what do they call it? I'm coming up with a range parenting, right? Free range, free range, free range parenting, free range farming. You decide, all right, whatever. I like my chicken in small cages. <laughs> but I'm getting off topic, all right? I'm getting off topic. No, I think rules are important. Call me crazy. I think rules are important for kids. Like I, I think I should be the dad and they should be the kid. I think, I think rules are important. I think, I think it's important that we, in a lot of ways, we hold the line. I, I don't think I should tell my kids, first of all, I don't think I should have to tell my kids ten times to stop something. I'm at two and then we're done. Lots of times I'm at one and we're done, Right? I don't think we should tell our kids ten times to stop something and then on the eleventh time when they don't stop it, just go for number 12. I don't think that's a good idea. I think I should stick, like a lot of us, a lot of parents I see inside and outside this church are letting their kids run all over them. I don't think that's a good way to do parenting. I think if you say something, you should actually do it. Like if you say, one more chance, if you do that again, I'm going to kill your puppy. If you say whatever it is. <laughs> Whatever comes out of your mouth, you got to watch what comes out of your mouth because once you say it, you got to do it, right? I think once you say something, your kids need to know that you're going to back that up with action. 
That, that if you say one more chance or you'll be in trouble, then they do that thing. I think you need to actually, they need to be in trouble. You need to move to discipline. I, we're teaching our kids how to obey God by first teaching them how to obey the authority God has put over them. And so this is huge. This is hugely important. I think rules are important for kids. But so is grace, mercy, and flexibility. I need to put my kids' heart and who they are as a little soul that God has given me to shepherd. I need to put that over the rules that I've come up with for their life. I need to listen to the, my kids. I need to make sure that discipline is what they need and not grace, mercy, and a, and a, and a hug. I, I don't just need to be the authoritarian in my home. I also need to be the first one to apologize. When I let things get out of control, when I overreact, when I lose my temper, I need to be the first one to apologize. Because my kids aren't machines. And neither am I. Relationships, parenting, it's not, it isn't math, it's life. It's life. The same with my marriage. I, if I see my marriage as a series of transactions and task lists and, and rules and algorithms, it's not going to go well for me, right? It's not going to work. Like, like if I get home and, and I go, okay, Aaron, uh, I know that it's important for you, uh, to you that you talk to me when I first get home. And so you got four and a half minutes, go. <laughs> I've, I've scheduled four and a half minutes. It's one of my tasks today. Just, yeah, just go, just go. What do you want to, that's not going to go well for me, right? That, that's not going to go well for me. That, that's not going to be good. If Erin is telling me that she had a rough day, and as she's telling me that she had a rough day, I'm treating it like a series of problems to solve, like, like she's tossing clays for me to shoot. Pull. You just need to talk to her. Pull. You just, need to get, you just need to get up earlier. <laughs> Pull. Or you just need to spank him. <laughs> Pull. Yeah, it does make you look fat. Get a new dress. <laughs> That's not going to go well for me, is it? I mean, that is not going to go well for me. If I'm walking around with a task list, talking to, to Aaron, and I've got, ta- I've got tasks like hug Aaron. Check. Tell Aaron that you love her. Check. Listen to Aaron for at least five minutes. Check. Offer advice. Check. But not too much. Check. <laughs> Take out the garbage. Check. That actually should probably be on there. <laughs> if I'm treating my relationship like a series of tasks to be completed, it's not going to go well for me. Why? Because she's a person. Not a machine. And so am I. Marriage is a relationship. It's not math. It's life. We don't don't treat our spouses, our kids, our friends, our other family like this. Because we know that that's not how relationships work. Relationships are messy and much more nuanced than, than a task list. The motive isn't to get it done. In a relationship, the motive isn't, let's get it done. Let's get done with this stuff. That's not, that's not the motive. The motive is to get to know the person. The motive is to draw closer to them. The motive is to give love and to receive love. So, so let me show you a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. 
Um, it's one of the most, it's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most terrifying passages of Scripture in, in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7. It's one of those that we oftentimes want to redact, but that's not the way the Bible works. Matthew 7, starting in verse 21, Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, I think a lot of us would like this whole following Jesus thing to, to be boiled down to a list of tasks that we need to complete every day. Like, here's what I have to do to, to, to please God. Here's what I have to do to make him happy. Here's what I have to do to prove my love to Jesus and to get into heaven. This is the list, and I think a lot of us are doing this. We've all got our list. Here's what it takes. Listen, for some of you, your list only has one thing on it. You just have to believe. You just have to say you believe. Raise your hand. Get baptized. Whatever it is, whatever tradition you grew up in, check that box. You're good to go. Some of you just have one thing on your list. Some of you have a long and complicated list of religious activity that has to be done in order to please the God you serve. We all have our list, and we become guardians of the list, right? Once we have it, like, this is what it takes to please God. This is what it takes to get my ticket into heaven. This is it. This is the sacred list. And we not only guard it, but we evangelize it. We give it out. We, we, we make other people's list turn into our list. We, we use our list like a rope to tie people up. Because that's what religion does. Religion ties people up. It's about what you do. It's about checking things off of a list. Religion is more like math than it is like relationships or life. And so this whole God thing becomes a series of task lists and rules and, and algorithms and transactions. If I, if I do this, then, then God will give me this. It's, it becomes this cosmic Coke machine where, where the coins that we put in are the tasks, the religious tasks that we check off of a list. Religion is, is based on getting something because of what we've done. It's quid Pro quo, Jesus is saying in this passage we just read in Matthew 7 that that's not the way it is at all. Because relationships are different. Relationships are based on giving. They're based on giving unconditionally. But we've, we've redacted Matthew 7, that passage we read and others like it, out of the Bible. The Bible we hold in our hearts. Because it seems easier if it's religion, Right? I mean, it would just be easier if we just had a list and we just checked it off and, and we turned it in to get into heaven. That would be a lot easier. Let's, let's look at this passage a little closer, verse by verse. Because Jesus is going to talk to two different groups, two different sides of this whole thing. So he says in verse 21 of Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, 
Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so Jesus is doing battle against religion, against this checklist approach to God, and he's going to talk to two different kinds of people. The first kind of person, that they have this checklist, they have this idea that this is, this is what it takes to get into heaven, this is what it takes to please God, but they've only got one thing on their list. They've only got one thing on their list. This kind of person would say, all you have to do to be saved is to believe. All you have to do to be saved is to believe. Now, that statement by itself isn't too bad, right? The problem is what they mean by believe is that all you have to do is say you believe. All you have to do is say you believe. All you have to do is call Jesus Lord, Lord. All you have to do is raise a hand, maybe get baptized, say a prayer. This is it. Check this one thing off of the top of your list and you're good to go. This is how they buy their ticket to heaven. Just just say this prayer. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. Come live in my heart. Forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you say the prayer? You did? You're in. Congrats. That's all you got to do. You just say the prayer and you're, you're saved. Good job. Angels are rejoicing in heaven. This is an amazing moment. It's an incantation. Just like witchcraft. You just get the spell right and you're good to go. And it's an incredibly damning way to think because what it produces is a bunch of people who maybe think that they're saved, think that they're followers of Jesus when they're really not. They don't know him at all. They just said a prayer. They may have some level of belief, like cognitive agreement that Jesus existed at some point and God is real, but they have yet to put their faith in him. Jesus goes, this is more than just calling me Lord. This is more than just raising a hand on a Sunday morning and saying a prayer. That that might be the beginning of something, but that's not the end. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, your checklist is still a checklist if it only has one thing on it. It's still a checklist. You're still putting your hope in what you can do, some religious action that you can do, calling Jesus Lord, saying you believe. You're still playing the religion game. And you're going to end up losing. It may seem better because it's quantifiable and it's easy and it's linear, but no one wins at the religion game. No one. No one wins at the religion game. Jesus goes, if this is you, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, we're left asking, okay, Jesus, then who will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Who's going to be in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus goes, well, it's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And that might make you think, okay, well, 
do the will of God, that means just do the rules of God, right? Do the law of God. So that might make you think, okay, great. I, I had before just believe. Now I've got some other things i got to do. I just need to do the will of God. I just need to do the law of God. Go to church, read my Bible, serve in whatever it is. I'm just going to do these things. This may lead you to just add to your list. But Jesus, he anticipated that line of thinking because he says this in verse 22. Wait, wait, wait. Is it not... not not that. On that day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Okay, so now he's taken on the second group of people. The first group had this one thing on their list, this checklist. Just just say you believe and you're good to go. Just say a prayer, say you believe and you're good to go. This, This second group of people, they've got a long list. These are the people who are saying, as long as I work for God, as long as I perform for God, as long as I do good things in Jesus' name, then I'll be good to go. They're putting their hope for salvation and what they can accomplish for God. They're the other extreme. They're out doing, doing, doing. And Jesus is, is talking about this moment where these people will, will be entering into eternity, either an eternity in hell apart from him or an eternity in hell, uh, in, in heaven with him. They're entering into eternity and he's saying these people will be surprised. They'll be surprised that they're not allowed entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And their response here shows where they put their hope, right? It shows where they put their hope. They're not allowed in, and they go, wait a second. Jesus, we, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We, we prophesied in your name. We, we did mighty works in your name. Why can't we get in? Why can't we get in? Jesus, Jesus we preached in your name. We wrote books We shared posts about you. We gave money to the church, Jesus. We served in a kids' ministry, in kids' ministry, Jesus. We served in kids. Jesus, we went to Peru. I mean, we went to Peru, Jesus. Jesus, we were were with homeless people at Dream Center Peoria. We were with homeless people at Southside Mission and at Rescue Mission, Jesus. We welcomed orphans into our home. Look at the things we did in your name. Why can't we get in? Their checklist is the receipt for their ticket to heaven. They're going, look at what we did. Why aren't you letting us in, Jesus? We did all this stuff. Why won't you let us in? We bought our ticket. Think about this a second, beloved. Have have you ever cast out a demon in Jesus' name? Have you ever prophesied in Jesus' name? Have you ever done anything in your life that you would call Mighty works in Jesus' name. Because these people had, and they didn't get into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this is a terrifying passage. 
It's a terrifying passage that I could be out working for God, doing things for Jesus, doing good in my community in the name of Jesus and miss the whole point of it all. It's a terrifying passage. It's one that we would all rather redact. But that's not the way the Bible works. All of it is true all of the time. It's a terrifying passage. This passage has driven me to my knees on multiple occasions, praying, Holy Spirit, get this junk out of my heart as fast as possible. Holy Spirit, would you cleanse me of any checklist, any, any checklist that I think is going to get me into heaven. God, would you burn up any tickets to heaven that I think I've bought with my religious activity? This has driven me to my knees on multiple occasions because this is a terrifying passage of Scripture. These are church people standing outside the kingdom of heaven, the gates to the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is going, I don't don't know you. So Jesus deals with the people who, who think they've bought their ticket just by saying, They believe by calling him Lord, and then he's talked about the people who have gone the other way, spent their lives doing Jesus stuff in order to get their ticket. So what now? Listen listen to what Jesus will say to those people on that day, and this is you. This is you if you're in one of these camps. This is is you. Verse 23, and he said, and then then when I declare to them, "I, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, I, I never knew you. He's not saying that he wasn't aware of their existence, right? He's saying that he, he, he didn't know them like a, like a disciple or like a friend. He, Jesus, because I didn't, I, I never knew. He's saying they have no relationship because following Jesus is a relationship, not a religion. Following Jesus is a relationship, not a religion. A lot like your marriage or parenting or friendships. It's not math. It's not a task list. It's life. You can't boil a relationship down with with Jesus down to to a checklist. That's not the way this thing works. Jesus is going, "Those, those things you did... You know, calling me Lord and and casting out some demons and and prophesying and and going to church and serving in kids' ministry and and doing the Peru mission trip. Those things were great, but I don't know you. I I don't know you. Jesus is going, this isn't about a checklist. I offered myself to you and you chose a list? I offered you my love, and you opted for legalism. I offered you a relationship, and you chose religion. Depart from me. I never knew you. You put your hope in what you could do for yourself, not what I have already done for you. And that's, geez, because that's not the will of my father. Not even close. In fact, that's lawlessness. Your self-reliance and self-centeredness, all about what you can do. He goes, that's sin. That's lawlessness. That's the reason I gave my life on a cross. I never knew you. Okay, I think 
I think you're feeling me on this whole religion versus relationship thing. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. So, so let me balance this out just a little bit um, so there's a little less confusion. There's, there's a, we talked about two groups of people. There's a third group of people. Um, and th- this group of people have gone the total opposite way. They've swung the pendulum from, from a legalistic checklist approach uh, to, to something equally damning. They've gone from, from this is what, it's all about what I can do, my checklist. It's all about what I can do, what I can do matters. They've gone from that to over here where they toss the checklist. They go, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do, and that's equally an issue. That's not right either. So when they're challenged by some sinful behavior, they say something like, well, I, I know Jesus, and, and we're cool. No, I know Jesus. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. 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 I know Jesus. It's fine. No, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, Jesus knows my heart. I mean, we, we, we're cool. We're cool. It's this whole Jesus is my homeboy approach, right? I don't need to read the Bible because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need to come to church because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't need to worry myself with the commands of a holy God because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that, that idea, that concept, that way of living, it calls it a license to sin. A license to sin. What it means is that we take the grace of God, which is this huge and beautiful thing, and we flatten it out into a license that we can then take and go sin. A license that gives us the right to sin against God, much like your driver's license gives you the right to drive a car. We say, it's okay, I can sin because the grace of God gives me a license to sin. God's grace covers everything. It doesn't matter because I know Jesus. We're tied. It's fine. He's cool with it. So, so let me try to navigate this tension with you for a few more moments. We've got Jesus saying, that's not about a religious checklist, that he wants a relationship. Over and over, he's coming against this empty religious ritual thing, this checklist. He's going, it's relationship, not religion. It's relationship, not religion. But let me show you something else that Jesus says. It's in John 14, 15. You've probably heard it before. And this is why, this is why we interpret the Bible with the Bible. This is why we read the Bible in the context of the Bible so we don't get off base. You track it with me? So John 14, verse 15, it says this. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The checklist people love John 14, 15. Don't they? They're like, see? See? The people who think it's all about just saying you believe, they hate it. The people who have gone the total other way and they're, they're far from God, they, they, they're far from his commandments. They flatten the grace of God into a license to sin, a sinner's license. They hate it too. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What? That sounds like legalism. That sounds like we're back to the checklist again. Surely he doesn't mean that. Just stick with me for for a second, beloved. A lot of times 
when we read John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, we think, okay, if I keep his commandments, then I must love him. If I keep his commandments, then I must love him. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So what Jesus is saying is that obedience to God flows from a relationship with God. Obedience to God flows from a relationship with God. Obedience, then, is the result of relationship. It's the result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We try to keep his commands in order to love him. We think, okay, if I can do the checklist, if I can complete the religious tasks, if I can obey his commands enough, then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna love him. Then he's gonna accept my love for him. I'll be good if I just do that. We start with the checklist in order to prove our love for him. Jesus did not say, keeping my commands will make you love me. It's not what he said. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Obedience to God flows from a relationship with God. Don't worry about proving your love for God by keeping his commandments. That's religion. That's doing the list, and it won't work. The whole thing starts with love, and it's sustained by Love, relationship, just just love Jesus, move towards him, build your relationship with him like you do with anybody else. Spend time with him, figuring out who he is, understanding who he is, spend, just spend some time with Jesus. Then the more you love him, the more you'll find that you love to keep his commandments, that you love to serve him. Why? Because when you love someone, you want to please them. When you love someone, you want to be close to them. You want to bring them joy. So you you serve in kids' ministry, not not to prove your love for Jesus or so that he'll love you. You serve in kids' ministry because you love Jesus. So you come to church every Sunday. You never miss unless you're sick or dying or out of town or whatever. You come all the time. You gather with God's people, with the saints of Jesus Christ, and you dive into the Bible, and you get serious about all that, not because, not not in order to prove your love for Jesus or to get him to love you. You do that because you already love Jesus. Are you tracking with me? You go to Peru on a missions trip, not so that you can say, okay, I checked that off of a list. I've done that. Most Christians haven't done that. I must love Jesus a lot. You don't do that to prove your love for Jesus. You do it because you love Jesus. You give money to the church. You tithe. You give 10% off of the top of your income to what God is doing at Great Oaks Community Church or your local church that you're involved in. You do that not so that you can prove your love for Jesus. You do it because you love Jesus. And that's different. There's a difference. And listen, the the more you love someone, the the more you listen to them, right? The more you love someone and build a relationship with them, the more you know their heart. The more you know their motives. 
the more you know their reasons. And with Jesus, the more you get to know him, the more you'll learn that every single one of his commands is for your good and for your joy. Every single one of his commands is for your good and for your joy. So why wouldn't you do them? You love Jesus and they're all for your good. Of course you would, right? Of course you would. You'll learn as you get closer to Jesus because you love him and you want a relationship with him. You'll learn as you get closer to him that like a loving father, he only wants your good, your ultimate joy. But he sees farther than you. He sees better than you. So like my daughter, my, my three-year-old daughter, Hannah, you, you have to trust your dad. You have to trust that he knows more than you. He knows better than you. That he wants your good. And so when he says, hold my hand in the parking lot, you hold his hand, even though it seems like it would be better to run and dance in the middle of those moving cars. Why? Because you trust him. Because he's shown his love for you. Because because you know him. Listen, I... I'm a task-oriented, black and white, tell me what you want me to do type guy, like a good plan A. So I get it. It seems like it'd be easier if we could just come up with a checklist and just do the tasks and be done. It seems like it'd be easier. That's why we redact everything out of the Bible of our, in our hearts that, that has to do with this idea that it's a relationship. It's not a religion. But it seems like a checklist would work better, but it wouldn't. This isn't math. This is life. Listen, religion, religion means that you have to do things right. It means you got to get it right before you come into the door. It means you got to clean yourself up first. That's what religion is about. Religion is about rules and rules only, but that's not the way of Jesus. Are there rules and commandments? Absolutely. For your good and for your joy, there are rules and commandments, but Jesus' way is a relationship. In a relationship, you don't figure things out first. You don't walk in with no issues in a relationship. You don't have everything nailed down at the starting line, like we got it all figured out. And you don't wear a mask. Not in a relationship that'll last. Think about marriage. You come as you are. If you're faking it on the wedding day, your marriage is doomed. And if you've been married long, aren't you glad that you're not who you were on the wedding day? I mean, I look back at myself, I'm like, God, thank God. Some things have changed, right? I mean, aren't you glad that you've progressed, that, that you've grown together? I mean, I, you have some troubles right now. I get that. You, you've hit some bumps in the road. I understand we all have. Plan A probably didn't work out exactly how you drew it up. That's fine. But if you're like me, you're, you and your spouse, you aren't who you were back then. You've grown, you know each other better. You know each other's motives. You know each other's reasons. You're closer. You love each other more. Beloved, that's the way it is with Jesus. You're not a machine. This is not math. This is life. What Jesus wants from you is a relationship, not empty religious action. And If you're having trouble getting there, like if you're thinking, okay, this is all about a relationship. I hear what you're saying. This all starts with love. If you're going, if this all starts with love and it's sustained by love, love for Jesus, and you're going, but I don't love him. 
How do I do this? How do I manufacture a love for Jesus like you're talking about? What, what if, Pastor, what if, what if I just don't love him? How do I fix this? If that's, if that's you, well, John, John 14, right after verse 15 where Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In verse 16, John or Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither knows him, nor, it neither sees him, nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. Jesus knew that you couldn't make this happen by yourself. He knew you couldn't pull this off, so he sent, he sent the Holy Spirit to help you with this. He goes, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Oh, you're not going to be able to do it. Here's the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need to lean into the Holy Spirit. You're going to need to rely on the helper that I'm going to send you. So if you're, you're wondering, you go, how do I get to that place where I have a love for Jesus? It starts just by asking the Holy Spirit to give you that love for Jesus. To give you that love that, that, that surpasses anything else, anything else going on in your life, any task list that you've been working on, any religious activity, you ask him to give you a love for Jesus that will grow and grow and grow. And you keep asking, and you toss the checklist, and you choose relationship over religion every single time. Because that's what Jesus wants. A relationship, not a religious task list, not a checklist, a relationship. This is not math. This is life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you show in your word that is true all the time, every day. It's both timeless and timely that it stood the test, but it also speaks to us today, right here, right now, where we are. I pray, Jesus, that we would approach your word today as we leave this place, that we would approach what we've learned, what we've talked about, not asking, is it true, but rather, what do I do now that I know this is true, that I know Matthew 7 says what it says, and John 14 says what it says, what do I do now? I pray, Jesus, that, that you would lead us and guide us in this process. That whatever was of you today would be remembered and what was of me would quickly be forgotten and fall to the wayside. Thank you, God, for desiring a relationship with us because we can't be religious. We can't, we can't execute the task list, even the, even the checklist we come up with. We can't do it. So thank you, Jesus, for making this about a relationship with you. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, maybe you're in here and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, you've never gone from this angle, you've always just kind of, you grew up in church or you've been coming a long time, you're a good church person, you do the stuff, you do the religious stuff, you're a good person you got your list and it's got mostly check marks on it but you're going, is this true? Because I thought I was kind of working on my ticket to heaven this whole time God, I need a relationship with Jesus you've kind of redacted that Matthew 7, 21 through 23 passage out of the, the Bible in your heart. You're going, I want a relationship with Jesus today. I just want to encourage you, don't leave here without making that decision to follow.
God, to follow Christ, to, to have a relationship. Ask the Holy Spirit, give me a love for Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit, help me put my checklist down. Help me let it go. Let everything that I do be done because of my great love for you. Just ask the Holy Spirit for help. Don't leave here without taking a step towards Jesus, knowing that it's going to be followed by another step and another step and learning and new things will be found out and you'll have to change just like you did in your marriage or in your relationship with your friends or your family. It's like any other relationship. Begin that today. Jesus, I pray for those in this room who are on the edge of that. I pray, God, that they would, that you, Holy Spirit, would overcome obstacles and excuses and pride. Some of them have been working on their checklist, working on their ticket to heaven for decades. It's going to be hard to let go. I pray, Jesus, that you would relax our grip on that checklist and we would find your grace and your mercy and a relationship with you so much more satisfying so much more desirous, so much more fulfilling. I pray, God, that we would figure out a way through the power of your Holy Spirit to put a love for you and a centering you or centering our life on you, God, that we would, through the power of the Holy Spirit right now, begin to prioritize that over other things, that our love for you would surpass our love for ourselves, it would surpass our love, God, for, for, other, for hobbies or for, for sports or for money or for stuff, comfort, security, whatever it is, other people in our lives, God, I pray that right now, supernaturally, Holy Spirit, that there would not be a soul left in this room who has not begun a relationship with you and that their love for you has not surpassed everything else in their life. Even if they don't know how it's going to work out, God, I pray supernaturally that you would do that in this room, that every person would leave here with a relationship with you today. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? Listen, if that's you today, you want to make, you want to begin a relationship, you're going, I've done the task list stuff, or I haven't done any of it, but I want to give my life to Jesus, and I want to begin a relationship. We've got prayer workers at the side. They would love, on both sides, they would love to pray for you about anything, sickness or financial troubles or emotional issues, relationship stuff, marriage stuff. We'd love to pray for you about anything. But if you want to give your life to Jesus and start a relationship with him, you don't know where to go from here. That's fine. Talk to a prayer worker. We've got this packet called an I've Decided Packet. It'll help you with those next steps. Grab that from a prayer worker during this song or after this song. Here's my prayer for you today. May the Bible you hold in your heart match the one in your hands. May you seek a relationship with Jesus over a religious checklist. And on your last day, may that relationship with Jesus open wide for you the gates into the kingdom of heaven. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. As always, I encourage you to talk this over with a life group this week. If you're not in a life group yet, you haven't yet plugged into Great Oaks, we'd love you to take that next step. Just stop at Connection Central. They'll get you plugged in. My challenge to you is, as it always is, don't let this stop with you. Just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, go out, help others take their next step toward God. Be a Jesus follower who makes the disciples of the Jesus followers. Next week's going to be great. Mother's Day, week four and redacted. Don't miss it. We'll see you.